Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. This is the Finding Backcountry podcast, episode number 35, which I don't know, it doesn't, it's not really a milestone, but it feels kind of like a milestone for some reason, 35. It's been quite a few episodes, man. I'm, I'm starting to really like this, but... For this episode, um, I did something that I've been looking forward to um, probably since I started this. Uh, there's, I've got quite a few of uh, guests like this um, that we're going to talk with that I've had in my back pocket that I just, this is really the reason that I started the podcast. And this is probably purely selfish more than anything um, because most people might not know who Brandon is, um, you know, as far as like <laughs> big social media guy or anything like that, but that's, uh, that's, that's why I love him. But, um, I've got my, my great friend, um, basically my brother, uh, not my brother, but basically Brandon, Brandon Crawford. And, um, this is going to be a fun one because Brandon and I go way back and, uh, we go clear back to, we met when we were working at Shields together in the archery shop. And so, yeah. Brandon, how you doing, buddy? Good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's good to be on and, yeah, doing good. Yeah. I know you got uh, you got your hands full there at home, right? You got... Um, yes. You, your, <laughs> your, your family history story of your little family is, is pretty amazing because when I... So when I knew you... Um, you had, you were not married and had no kids and, and now it's been what, maybe four or five years. Yeah. And yeah. It's been, we just had our four, four year anniversary and, and how many and, kids uh, do you four have? Four kids later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All girls. And, uh, well, I kind of cheated cause I jumped into marriage. You know, we had, we had one, uh, that was already born, uh, one from my my wife she yeah. she had a daughter so that uh jump started everything and then had twins off the ba- uh, right off the bat first shot <laughs> uh twin girls and then and now they're they just turned three and then then we just had another girl so what were you thinking when the twins came what was were you <laughs> i didn't believe it and then uh i just thought wow this is i didn't ever think that happened to to me but uh it now it's like I couldn't imagine, you know, life without them or not having both of them around or having one or the other. And so it, yeah, it's just it's pretty cool. But yeah, you just never think something like that, and then it happens. And yeah, it's it's a special thing though. And yeah, uh, yeah, that's what it's about. Well, and I know, uh, you know, the those those girls, at least uh, your older one that I've been around, they're they'll get out and uh, go hike in the mountains and stuff. And so, you know, you're still going to have some, you're going to have some little hunting uh, buddies, you know? Oh yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Even when I go out to call coyotes or anything, these younger ones, they, 
the twins, they already want to go with me everywhere. And they're, they're into it. So I think, you know, I think that there's potential there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I got all girls, I'll take them. <laughs> yeah. So we, uh, so we, man, it was, it was really just random. Um, you know, we had, you, you were already living in Salt Lake for, for quite a while, weren't you? Or was it not very long before we, you got that job? No. Yeah. I, I was actually, I graduated from, from Utah state university and, and applied for that job and then, um, moved down to Salt Lake, maybe, you know, maybe six months before I got the job. And that was really kind of the reason I was moving down though. I was interviewing for that. Gotcha. And then that's when we, we met there. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so at, at Shields, they have, um, they'll have like a, an archery shop manager, which is what I, um, was hired for. And then they'll have, um, they'll have multiple bow bow technicians, but they'll have usually kind of one, one head, uh, bow tech that's right, a full, yeah. full time and kind of the head guy. And that, that was you. And so we were, we, it, it definitely wasn't like I was, you know, your boss or anything. We were def we were just hundred percent partners running an archery shop together. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was a good time. Had both, was- uh, we'd both been into archery our whole lives and, and then, you know, Shills, Shills, I've said this before on the podcast, but Shills does a really, really good job. Um, you know, and they, they're not, a, obviously not a sponsor. We don't have any sponsors, but, um, they do a really good job of training guys, you know, and, yeah, and, uh, you know, we, we, I had a pretty good background and I think you had a, a good background, but, you know, we went out for, you know, a, a week of training with another or two weeks of training with another store, yeah. um, with the other shop managers that, you know, and then, and then they sent yeah. us to, uh, a, one of the bow manufacturers for their Academy for three or four days. And so we, you know, we, uh, yeah. we got kind of thrown into the fire of running an archery shop and what a good place to learn, huh? Oh yeah. They, I was impressed too. They go above and beyond. I had never done anything like that where they fly you out and yeah. treat you to, to room and board and food and then train you how they did with going to Matthews Academy in Wisconsin and seeing that plant and how they make bows out there and yeah, we were just kids in candy shop almost. We were just <laughs> loving it and uh, selling bows and working Man, on it. I have to spend this much money on archery equipment this month. Holy cow! All right, yeah. here we go. Let's order it Get up. It. Yep. What Getting was into gear and what was the yeah. what was the worst thing that I ordered as a shop manager? What <laughs> what was the worst decision? <laughs> oh, geez, I'd have to think about that. I. I just remember, for some reason, I always remember those mini crossbows, just having a million of them to get rid of and talking to our managers about how many we have. And I don't know. There's a lot of rinky-dink stuff we we bought or little things we did. But. I think my favorite was when those uh, somebody, somebody came out with, you know, and, and everyone just knew it was going to be the next coolest thing at the time, and now I don't even know if they exist, but um, those tips that would screw onto your arrow at the end that had a you you dropped a a 357 <laughs> shell in them <laughs> oh yeah and so you had an exploding well you know they say it was an exploding arrow tip and 
and right. uh, you know so you'd shoot it and when the arrow contacted it would uh there was a basically a little firing pin that was hit up against that 357 bullet and yeah we, <laughs> we sold way too many of those yeah like projected the bullet out through yeah. the end of the broadhead yeah, yeah. i remember those yeah <laughs> do you yeah. uh what what was uh maybe just your favorite story or something something weird that came into the shop or something that happened or anything like that do you have any um yeah there was i mean there you get all sorts in in salt lake city for sure coming through it was in the stores in sandy but um we get a lot of most most of the time you know the the biggest the weirdest thing or that I remember working there was when we had a, that guy steal about five Matthews helium bolt bows and, and walked out on us and me and you kind of caught him and, and identified him through the picture yeah. uh, from the uh, loss prevention people. And uh, that, that whole ordeal, but I mean, we had a lot of, I remember a lot of guys bringing in bows that were just completely blown up from dry firing them. They'd buy a brand new bow or it wasn't even from shields. It'd be who knows where, you know, and they would just be pulling them back at home and let them go without an arrow. And they just, the limbs would be in half and just <laughs> bring them in. And we we're just, I just couldn't believe all the mishaps like that. That would yeah. happen. I, I will talk about the guy still in those bows, but yeah, I, I remember, you know, you'd set, you'd, you'd, you'd have this whole, this guy come in and get an entire setup of a brand new bow. And I mean, you know, spared no expense. I mean, it was probably a, over a $2,000 ticket a lot of times to set up a brand new bow and you just, you'd spend hours setting it up and rest and paper tuning and getting everything dialed for him. And then, like, literally the next day is how it happened. Like, he'd come walking up the stairs around the corner with this bow that's just dangling in pieces. I'm like, dude. Yeah, just, like, uh, embarrassed. And, yeah. you know, those warranties on Hoyt and all those, Matthews Bowtech, all those companies are so, you know, we didn't carry some of those, but all those companies were so good. And they're still really good warranties and stuff they stand behind, so. Yeah. usually covered too <laughs> yeah yeah those but those, so those guys still in bows that was crazy huh they they basically yeah. you know pe people figure this out and like i i don't i'm not trying to enable anyone or whatever don't don't steal but um they basically realized that like we couldn't a shills employee couldn't stop them you know like le legally they had yeah. some they had something figured out where like you know like you can get in someone's way that's that's leaving a store and you can like and you can tell them or ask them to stop or yell at them or whatever but like basically unless the cops are there right they they couldn't and so they were yeah. just, they just a couple times came up and walked out with bows like it, it sounds silly but like they would just walk up and walk out with a $900 bow or whatever that's crazy yeah and those, a few times they shields knew they had done it and couldn't stop them because there's <laughs> legal like little lines in the legalities yeah. of lawsuits of, like of, you said yeah. of stopping someone welcome in the to, way they do it welcome to america <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah 
Uh, yeah, that was shocking to me too, because we were like, "Take him down!" Take yeah. him down. <laughs> oh, if we see him, yeah, we were just ready to pounce on him. <laughs> and uh, it was like, "Oh nope! If you guys don't touch him, don't do anything. Just ask him to stop." And you know, but yeah, he yeah. he finally that guy. They had his picture from the first time, and and sure enough, he we posted it in the back office in the back room there. <laughs> And he came rolling back in a couple weeks later, and you, I think it was you that recognized him. Like, yeah. Yep. Hey, that's that freaking guy that's still in bows, man. <laughs> and like, we went out and stopped him, and they, they came up and got him. But, geez. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy what don't, people do. Kids don't steal bows. It's not it's not the type of people we are so yeah i think they had said he'd, he'd been doing it from cabela's too maybe or some oh, other really stores i if i remember right yeah. yeah crazy yeah so that's fun man Let, let's i want to back up just a little bit um that's kind of how we got to know each other was was uh shenanigans at shields but um mm -hmm. what uh talk just talk real quick about kind of you growing up you grew up out in uh kind of north central nevada there and just kind of tell your story about how you yeah. get into hunting sure yeah uh like you said born and raised out in nevada northern nevada uh came from a farming agriculture background uh so my dad's got some some land and some cattle and stuff and grew up farming alfalfa and working on the on the farm most of uh you know through high school and and all the summers i grew up and so i i really didn't start archery hunting or getting that you know that big passion for for hunting with the bow until it was after high school but uh grew up you know back here it's chucker all over in the mountains so we we'd do that with our short hairs and and go hunt upland in in these mountains and so that was a lot of a lot of the hunting experience i had and then we you know we put in for deer and antelope and elk and things like that we did hunt a lot of elk uh but we did hunt mule deer a lot and so i fell in love with hunting hunting from a young age and then i've got four or three brothers there's four four boys and and uh so grew up hunting with a big family and so if one person didn't draw we were going with the next so mm -hmm. that type of thing but um yeah just i grew up shooting guns a lot on the farm you know we've got squirrels and rabbits and you know just every critter you can think of and they all swarm into the farms because it's a high desert you know so only place for some, some good feed huh <laughs> yeah so we'd spotlight you know growing up and shoot squirrels and so i've i've spent a lot of time behind the scope and doing that sort of things real common i i guess it's unusual for some people growing up but it was it was really you know that that's a kind of my hunting background and why i got into certain things and how familiar i am with guns and stuff like that came from that, those roots you know yeah I, I always wonder, you know, when you see a guy that's really into hunting and then also is like a farmer, um, talk about how hard, <laughs> how hard that is uh, to have both of those kind of passions or both of those well, in, in your life. I mean, you know, you don't, I'm yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm learning. It's even harder now with kids, you know, and, 
I think you should do actually a whole podcast on like, I know you don't have any kids, but you should like do like a podcast on how we respond to women in our lives or with hunting, <laughs> like just how to deal with it. Yeah. Um, but my wife's really supportive and, and everything, but yeah. And the farming side is like you said, our busy time hits right in the summers where the start archery happens in Nevada, you know? And, and so I've always tried to hunt close to home, you know, I've hunted different areas around Nevada, but, um, try to stay close cause we're putting up hay in, in the summer and August. So, and that's what I like to do is just bow hunt. So, and I, you know, that. well, and you know, I, I can see like on the one hand, it's probably nice cause you don't, you don't really work for anyone, so to speak, you know, you don't have like a company or a boss that you, you know, that you're right. kind of your own, but then at the same time, I mean, you know, if, uh, if you got a, a cut of hay, that's got to be cut, you know, or, or that's got to be bailed the opening day of the bow yeah. hunt, like you're, yep. you're bailing, huh? Exactly. Yeah. It's harder to plan it's it's definitely harder to plan like a seven day you know backcountry hunt with the schedule i have like you know you and i might get into that we went in and did a backcountry hunt together in another unit in in nevada and that was when we lived when i lived over there in salt lake but but yeah here it's it's hard because i like you said i'm in charge of uh managing a whole farm and and putting the hay up and so and i've got to do a lot of that work so it's you know it's kind of spontaneous sometimes i'll hunt like a couple mornings in a row and then sometimes i'll do four or five evenings in a row and then a, a couple mornings but i try to get out as much as i can you know and i end up usually hunting quite a few days it's just not you know it's those prime times you know where you're hunting uh four or five hours in the morning and you know, just the evening hour and a half where it's, you know, they're starting to move type of thing. What have you, uh, what have you learned from, you know, spending so much time around like alfalfa fields and stuff? Like, what do you learn about mule deer, for example, using your fields or even antelope? Well, we get a, we get a lot of landowner tags because of the wildlife that comes into our properties. Um, my, my father's accumulated quite a bit of property uh out here and so what i've learned is just i guess in nevada especially uh just we kind of talked about how the climate and in the weather um they really start coming in you know towards the end of summer because the the desert and the, the grass gets so dry and the lack of water and so we get we get a lot of antelope and a lot of deer and and it just kind of funnels them out of the, of the mountains and the hills and even the valleys and stuff. But, um, I mean, there's always valley deer and mountain deer. And so there's, there's both, but I've kind of learned, you know, archery hunting. Cause I, I hunt both, uh, a lot of, a lot of public land, BLM land. And then I hunt, uh, some of the private land too. And, and some areas, you know, I've hunted that, you know, where we don't have property at all. And so I've kind of learned that, you know, those animals will come to certain, you know, they'll, they'll be in certain spots and, um, 
it's just interesting to see that there's deer only in the valleys and that's where they're going to stay and then there's a whole different group of of deer in the mountains that kind of stay up there and that's kind of one big thing that i don't think people understand is you know so some of these deer we kill or that our landowner guys kill on our properties that we sell tags to they're you know they kill those bucks and their their hooves are they've never seen rock you know their hooves are are I don't know what you call that cleft out, but they're, you know, they've never been in a rock at all or mountains at all. They're just, they've been just in the valleys. It's like, uh, it's like my goats though. Like, you know, if you wouldn't trim their feet, you know, the nails would just eventually just grow over and kind of, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, they're like, that's interesting. We've seen them where they're, you know, five or six inches long. And there are a lot of those, those deer just, they just, stay down but that's a big thing i've learned and then just just yeah um how to adapt you know and and hunting in different situations in different different areas and flat land or in the mountains well you know this is this is a backcountry hunting podcast but i think it's valuable because um you know not everyone hunts the backcountry all the time and that's that's completely fine and um, so I'm actually curious, um, you know, what are, what are some of your go-to tactics? Um, you know, if you've, if you've got a guy or you yourself are hunting, you know, deer down in the, and you think he's trailing in and out of a field, I mean, what's, what's kind of, uh, you know, what are some of your tactics that you use? Um, cause that, yeah, that, that's, like, that's new to me, you know, honestly, like sure. I've, yeah. I've never really had to think, even think about that, um. You know, especially with mule deer, maybe antelope a little when I was a kid, but yeah, it's, it's I mean, it's relatively the same as you do in, in the mountains and uh, in a spot and stock situation, but it, it is a little harder because you can lose them a lot easier in flatland. And I know a lot of these guys that listen probably know, you know, the hunt some of those areas in Arizona and some of the deserty and just rolling hills or. You know, there's areas in Utah too and Nevada that are like this, but you know, they get out. It's it's really hard to glass them up when you get get them in such a flat area where there's just little rolling hills, you know. And so, the biggest thing is just getting to know bedding areas and where they're going from the field, you know, from their bed to their to their feeding areas and their bedding areas. And so, I've learned you know, all the bedding areas on, on where I hunt, but, and our properties and where our landowners hunt, you know, our landowner tag holders hunt and stuff like that. And that's a huge, huge deal. But I mean, those are the tactics. That's the tactic I use is, you know, just to watch and glass them up in the mornings and same thing in the evening and be in position in the evening. You don't have as much time to a little a little different to ambush in the evening as it is to you know get on a good vantage point and watch them come out of a field or yeah. or or whatnot uh or a meadow or something and and go to their bedding areas but are you uh you killing them more often at least with archery you killing them um like ambushing them on their way or are you killing them spotting and stalking in their bed um both but uh we've we've done both but uh 
I'd say mostly it's it's in their bed. It's it's spotting and stalking them in their beds, in their bedding areas. It's so like, you know, I've heard whitetail are a lot more predictable on on the the routes they take into fields or feeding areas, and it's I mean you can pattern mule deer, find trails, you can find, you can think where, you know where they're going, but I've seen them five miles from where i saw him the last day you know and and so or on a completely different side of a property or you know than you think they'd be so i mean if you see him go out and no one's hunted them and you know where they bedded they're going to come back in the same way that night you just don't know what time they're going to get up they could get up at dark you know and so that's that's the biggest thing and so but yeah, most, most of the time it, it probably, for me, it's happened most of my shots. Um, and, and some of the harvesting has happened in the, in the bedding areas. Yeah. So you guys, uh, you guys mostly just trying to draw the tags right there where your property is. You don't, uh, you don't have time to get out on those backcountry hunts much anymore, huh? Not, not as much. I mean, we do put in for, for other units in Nevada around where we live and we've hunted other units where around where we live. And so, um, you know, we, but yeah, most of the time we're, we're hunting pretty close, pretty close. Cause it's, we're pretty tied up. And so, yeah, but we do get out a lot because we're so close to where we hunt. Yeah. Yeah. You and I, uh, that was 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 the first hunt that we went on was that our nevada deer hunt or was that the utah over the counter elk tag that's probably utah huh i think it was the utah hunt yeah yes yeah it was it was the elk it was the elk hunt yeah we should talk about that i mean we uh we're living we're living there in salt lake and uh decided that we were going to pick up the over-the-counter elk tag in utah which you know it's not um it's not it's not definitely not the top one or two over-the-counter tags in the west i don't think um i don't you know we've you and i have both hunted um either colorado or idaho um mm-hmm. for elk uh, you know quite a few years and and it's those two states are substantially better if you're looking for a just an over-the-counter elk you know unless you just happen to be a utah resident i guess um but and and that's what we were is we were just utah residents and decided that we were gonna head up and uh and go (laughs) go hunt the uinas for uh over-the-counter elk what uh what do you remember i mean what uh did we did we just hunt it that one year was it just the one time um I think it was, but the one time we went in there, we did a couple of scouting trips is what, why we get confused, I think. And we did two scouting trips and, you know, different, different places, totally different areas of the the unit. But, and then we went in, remember for, yeah, that's right. For like a week, huh? Yeah. Like a week we went in. So, but yeah, that was it was kind of I what I remember of the hunt was we went in late and you were like a zombie hiking in <laughs> and, and and I found out a lot about you that night but we hiked in late you, don't you remember that hitting yeah, the trail I don't uh 
I I was a lot more um, <laughs> willing to just man we you know we had we had read some of the books of some of those guys and like you know they'd do these bonsai show up at the trailhead at you know two in the morning leave work at five and show up at the trailhead at two and you know they they just had to hike in because they didn't want to waste any time and we're like oh we're totally we got to be those guys <laughs> and so and I'm well, like, I'm a, yeah. dude, I am a sleep, uh, what is Gritty, Gritty, Bo- so Gritty Bowman calls it a, he's a sleep alpha. And that's me, that's me, man. I'm a, I'm a yeah, sleep you, alpha. Well, you can out hike me any day of the week and you, <laughs> you did that night, but I just remember you were a zombie. I mean, you were not liking it. Yeah. I'm a sleep alpha. And so when I don't, when I don't get my. I'm a princess. I need my eight hours. And, uh, <laughs> man, yeah, you got, you got a little, I'm, uh, that's, little I, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm getting over the older I get, the less, you know, important sleep seems to be. I don't know. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, you know, you, I can, I can perform on four or five, six hours and back, man, we were only, we were, yeah. we were a lot younger, but, um, yeah, man, we so we hiked in, and uh, did we we hiked all the way in, didn't we? Anyway, we got... hiked. Yeah, we hiked in to where we scouted one time. I I believe is what remember where we we went and because we we ended up killing a bull the very next day, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we went to where we scouted the, the you know the first time we had scouted. We liked that area better, and yeah, and we went in and got in there i just kept, I, I just remember we just kept wanting to push and push and push and get up to that that vantage point we had where kind of gets up there a little higher in there and, yeah and so we we hiked pretty late i remember and then yeah the next morning it happened jeez man and it you say that but like it was literally the first like 10 minutes of light um you know, we, we woke up, rolled out of, you know, the, the sleeping bags, uh, maybe, you know, 30 minutes before the sun was coming up or something like that. And man, we, we didn't have time to, we basically barely got our gear together and Mm -hmm. had dove off. I mean, we couldn't have been, you know, it was like the most picture perfect elk hunt that you, you know, you (laughs) just, you know, is never going to happen this way ever again. Um, but I, I remember we eased off the ridge from where we were to drop into some kind of some thicker timber off one of the sides there. And we weren't, geez, we were hundreds of yards still probably from the tent. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. It was, could have hit it, could have hit it with an arrow. We could have heard that bull bugling from our sleeping bag. Had we been sleeping a little longer. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we eased off there and, uh, were maybe you know 50 yards from hitting the bottom and um not even knowing that there's an elk around and one of us you must have cow called or something just just a coucher and like that bull lit up and he was he's he's the smallest i mean he's a rag you know by any definition he's a rag but uh yeah that thing lit up and he, he, it was like he was just sitting outside of our tents waiting for us to get up so we could kill him. And, uh, yeah. Tell that, tell the rest of that story. That's exactly, yeah, no, that's how I remember too. I remember just kind of, we're just kind of hurrying to get, 
you know, at a camp because it was getting light, but we were still pretty early. We couldn't see that well and dropping off that ridge. And then, like you said, it, I think it was me or you that Cal called and, and it, it must've been me. Cause it, cause I ended up taking position. We both had tags and, mm-hmm. and I kind of said, this is you go first type of deal. And I just took position behind you and <laughs> that little basin and, man it was just a nice meadow there and a, a few spotted you know trees it had tons of shooting lanes just yeah because of the the meadow and and just and he came like a on a string oh yeah it was it was crazy just a couple of little cow calls just got him so fired up and it was just the right time right place and yeah, you dove uh, you dove back about 100 yards which is you know probably one of the most important things um, on those elk hunts that I've learned, uh, you know, if obviously if you're hunting with a with a calling partner, um, you know, is getting that caller back, you know, 75, mm-hmm. 100 yards. Really, for, for me, it's, it's not so much the distance as it is getting you out of sight because those bulls are right. so, you know, they're so keen to where that sound's coming from. And, you know, I'm sure if we're hunting up in the, you know, the upper Northwest up in the coast of Oregon and it's thick, 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 you know, you could have been 20 yards behind me and it would have worked all the same, you know, but relative to that terrain, if you remember, I mean, we had a big, long, there's a pretty big meadow there. Um, and then there's a big clump of, you know, 15 or 20 little, little, uh, trees. And that's, I think where you kind of ended up at because, but, but the important Mm -hmm. thing was, is you, you were smart enough to bury yourself back in there. And so he comes walking, you know, he comes, I mean, it only took him probably, geez, it was yeah. just a couple of minutes, you know, and he was waltzing right down and passes me at like 19, 18, 19 yards. Um, oh, yeah. Just so perfect close. broadside. But, yeah. but the fact that you were back there and were cow calling and he, you know, even if he would have stopped where he was, he wouldn't have been able to see anything. And so that kept him hunting and kept him walking by me just perfect right. and i i put a man back then it would have been like probably a i don't even know what it was but it was a montec g5 just right behind his front shoulder just perfect and he uh <laughs> i remember i did, did could you hear like did you know any of it was going on really other than just after no yeah i i think i didn't even get to see the shot i just heard the crash after <laughs> But like I heard him bugle coming into the meadow, I knew he was coming, and then I think he bugled two or three times before you arrowed him. Yeah. And so I knew, yeah, I knew he was super close because I, like he said, I was at least seventy-five, maybe a hundred yards back in that clump of little trees, and then and he came so quick through there through that opening, and then you were just in like the most perfect yeah. position like you could have been to where I was calling and it just like, like you said, we just got lucky, got really fortunate and lucky to, to have it happen, how it happened because we found out and I found out, you know, going back there a few years later, how hard it is in there. Yeah. Yeah. That, that bull, I hit him broadside and uh, he kind of, he kind of kept going the direction that he was going to my left and but he you know he was hit and he was he was he was de- he was done on his feet but he made a big there's a big like hundred yard wide meadow there and he he made like a big loop 
And I, I remember he, it took him long enough to loop around that meadow. He, he did a half circle. So he looped all the way around the other side and he was heading back kind of up the draw where he had come from as he was kind of heading into the trees. And I had enough time to get an arrow. I got a, I was, I had enough sense at least to get another arrow and you know, at the, I, I'm a firm believer. Like once, once you know, they're hit once it's like, all yeah. uh, there's there's no ethics anymore as far as like you know yeah. no running shots or anything you're just trying yeah. to get as a clean of a kill as possible you know and i was 18 yards right. or whatever i knew that he was just done on his feet and so i flung one i was it was like leading a, a bird you know i was like pheasant hunting at your property there and like he's he's rolling around he's rolling around in that meadow and I'm leading him <laughs> and he was like I think I guessed him at like 80 yards and you know back then we were both I think we were both shooting those uh, seven deadly pins probably but at least yeah at least I was so I I cranked that 80 pin on him and just was leading him like a bird uh, with a shotgun <laughs> I, yeah see because I remember coming out of the trees and either seeing you shoot the last shot or, or <laughs> hearing it and hit, hit like a some deadfall or something, Yeah, you know, needless to say, I, I didn't, I didn't hit him. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? <laughs> oh man. Yeah, man. That was just what, how could I ever repay you for calling me a bullet, man? We, we tried to get oh, you, goodness. uh, we tried to get you <laughs> one later in the hunt, I think, but that, that whole, that was just, uh, that was awesome. Yeah. Man. I, you know, and I ended up having a, a pretty good opportunity. I think later in that hunt, I missed. I, I'm pretty sure I missed a. I remember missing one up on a little bench on yeah. the other side of the mountain when we came over and by a little like that little pond, it. huh? Yep. Yeah, I still see that in my replay that in my mind. You know, all your misses. You know, you just replay them. But, but yeah, I definitely had my chance and. I think, uh, you know, that's, I think that's what sets a lot of guys apart from harvesting and not is that those few seconds, right, right before you release that arrow of yeah. how, how long and, you know, that killer instinct in people. And, and I just, just rushed it, I think, and shot under him, but just barely, but yep. Shots you want back. Everybody's got them, man. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a crazy hunt, man. And that was so for anyone that's listened um to the episodes with Corey, that's the same hunt that um Corey's very first uh, and we talked about this on Cody Rich's podcast yeah. too, but that was his first uh uh kind of backcountry hunt deal at, um or yeah, yeah, that was his first little deal. Um anyway, that same hunt, he had uh he had just we didn't know it but was that no no i'm i'm getting hunts mixed up man that's when you know you're getting old is when you get hunts mixed up because yeah that was a different year huh you and i went in that year and killed that bull and then Corey's hunt was the next year is that right that's gotta be right because i i don't think i went in with you again in there i went in with my brothers one other time but yeah yeah different hunt but what, yep. what, what, what else is crazy about that hunt was that, um, so that horse story, um, oh, that we yeah. found wow. back there. Yeah, you should tell that. No, I, I, the, they don't pay me on this podcast to talk. They pay the guests. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Well, I just remember 
So after we killed your bull, we wanted to, we hunted that other, that other basin we were in, uh, off that ridge we camped in, uh, for a couple days or maybe even a day or two. And we ended up calling another bull in and it didn't, it didn't happen. They all got held up and coming across a meadow and barked at us and took off. And then basically it was like the next, we, we just talked about it that we wanted to go over the top and into another drainage um and hunt a whole different area and so we just we kind of studied those maps on our gps's and camp and stuff and then we had your bull all boned out and we packed that thing out you know and that that, that following day that and then day, hunted yeah. A, yeah and then hunted a couple more days in that same spot and we were just kind of like, man, this is kind of hunted out. And there's, we've maybe seen some hunters in there, I thought, or, you know, we just called a lot in there and wanted to relocate and try that other drainage. So we, and we didn't have a bone saw with us, which is key to the story. <laughs> um, but so we had your whole, we still had your elk kid. We didn't pack it out. We packed all the meat out, but we knew we didn't have to pack that out because it wouldn't spoil. Yeah. And so we had, <laughs> you were spacking this huge elk head around. The head weighed. I mean, <laughs> if that, looking back now, it was like, just leave the, those stupid raghorns, man. Like, just leave them. <laughs> like, I've killed mule deer that score more than that elk. <laughs> I think we, you know, we'd, we'd, we weren't like, you weren't mounting it. We didn't have the whole height. We'd, yeah. you had skinned it out. You broke the b- bottom jaw off even, but even at that, after a while with that much weight, we were still hunting for like four, three or four more days after we packed your elk out. And so, Hey, as you're, as you're saying this though, this, this actually was the same hunt that Corey was on. Um, he he was on that hunt. He wasn't with. We met up he, with him. He, yeah, that that's and that's why. what it was. Is he he wasn't with us. Um, he split on the way in, and you know that's his whole story when he went off by himself, <laughs> like an, like an awesome backcountry hunter. But um, yeah. So because we anyway, um, because we we met up with him later. But yeah, keep keep going. Yeah. We so we had so, that we had that head, and we were heading over. Um, yeah, to cross over drainages. We were going over the, the drainage, and we were going to – we actually had coordinated with Corey to meet up with him. You know, there's no service in where we're hunting, yeah. so and, – and we don't – we didn't have sap bones or nothing. So we'd coordinate him. We'd be over here, and he'd actually given us the GPS coordinates to his camp. Yeah, that's right. And that's how we found him. But So we, we were going to go join – get in his basin and try that and join up with him. We were, and so we went over the top and I just remember coming down the shelliest, rockiest ridge. Yeah, we, and We took a shortcut. We, you know, it was like you could take mm-hmm. the trail and if you took the trail, you were going to backtrack like, you know, a four mile round trip. And we're like, well, screw that. We'll just take, we'll just cut the, yeah. you know, and those basins in the Uinas are, uh, yeah we were seeing mountain goats we were yeah when we came off it's flat where it's flat but man when it gets steep in there and rocky is it's bad so yeah keep going we're we're crossing over that's right and we didn't go on the trail (laughs) yeah we're we were off trail just bushwhacking and you were 
you know, and I remember even on our way over, we we had, uh, I don't know if, you, if I should even say this story, but Uh-oh. remember the fire we built? <laughs> <laughs> I do. We It was raining, like, hard on us. Yeah, we, we holed up under a couple pine trees. Yeah, and we built a little fire just to keep dry, dry yeah. us off. It, it didn't amount to anything, so I don't have a problem saying because it was just our own stupidity. But we uh, we sat under these, a pretty good clump of like three or four or five uh, big mature pine trees just yeah. waiting out this stupid rain thunderstorm. And and it got cold. Like, it, I almost want to say it yeah. was like sleeting or something too. But um, yeah. so we were like, screw this. So we, uh, we built a little fire uh, kind of in between you know, us and under the tree. And, you know, I mean, we, it wasn't like a big bonfire or anything, but we had that thing, mm-hmm. just a little fire. And so the storm blew through and, and it was time to go. And we, you know, we, mm-hmm. we kicked, we kicked it out. It's not like we stoked it up on our way, you know, out and like, oh, threw no, a bunch we of put it out. It. I mean, I even, I think one of us even urinated on it. <laughs> I mean, but, it was, yeah. I mean, we, we made sure we stomped it and I mean, it's, it, this is a good story for people to, I mean, it made me a lot more aware of when I build stuff, like even when it's wet outside everywhere. And knowing what I know now, cause I, um, man, had I, that's embarrassing. Actually, I had already fought wildland fire at that point. So I, (laughs) I knew, I knew better. But that duff, you know, what'll happen on those, you know, and I, I guess what we were thinking is like, geez, we just got snowed or rained on like, but, uh, that duff must've, uh, you know, so that duff under those pine trees, duff being like, you know, just years and years of, mm-hmm. of, uh, pine needles and whatever else falling down and yeah. turning it into, yeah, you know, and it's not dirt. Um, and it'll, it'll burn, it'll smolder and stuff. And. And that stuff must have, uh, we must not have got all that uh, turned over and wet or whatever. Um, because what you're talking about, and the reason that it's embarrassing is Corey, anyway, long story short, but Corey ends up crossing over just hours, <laughs> probably a few hours after we had, and we <laughs> we missed each other. Uh-huh. But but he, he the way he tells the story is that he was coming up over the top of the ridge, coming the other way, and he sees this little puff of smoke <laughs> coming from these pine trees. And he's thinking, Oh, that's probably Brandon and Dustin, you know, up yeah. in the fire up against this pine tree. And he gets up there and we'd been long gone, but this fire, I don't know how big it was, but it was, uh, apparently it was big in enough. the middle of nowhere. Like the odds of him finding that too at the yeah. time. And, and, yeah. I don't believe it would have gone anywhere. I mean, you know, it was surrounded by kind of that green meadow grass up there. And, uh, and it was just that one little clump of trees that would have, you know, wor- worst yeah. case scenario is that, but that's, that's how it starts, man. Like I, mm-hmm. I have a newfound respect too, for, uh, for taking care yeah. of your, your backcountry fires. Cause it, it could have, I think Corey stomped it out for us. It could have got bad. <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, sorry to digress from. What a, yeah, what a, I just I I forgot about that till I was replaying everything in my mind when we left that basin. Yeah, but anyways, yeah, we so we kept going after the little fire incident and what we thought was out, and then uh, 
dropped off that rocky ridge we kicked a few elk up and on our way but uh didn't get any encounters until later the next day or two but um we came off that rocky ridge and just got into some pretty big boulders after the shell and everything and big really big boulder filled yeah yeah steep country and we just so you'd been like we 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 hadn't said it but like we'd been wanting to cut your skull off and just have the horns on your elk the whole time you know the last couple days yeah and so we as we're jumping boulders in that boulder field with our packs on and stuff coming you know making our way down down into the more of the valley down uh we were in that boulder field and we found a bunch of wreckage and just like a bunch of chaos happened you know like a bunch of saddle uh side saddles satchels or whatever you call those and panniers yeah yeah we uh satchels are the purses that guys wear (laughs) okay well you know i don't ride horses too often no (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i know i remember exactly what you're talking about we uh this like i think i had my head down and all of a sudden i kind of looked up as i was hiking through that like, boulder field and like what yeah. in the heck happened here it was just chaos strewn from like the there beginning pans. i found oh. a pan yeah. like a a big old frying pan yeah there was like a backcountry uh you know sheep herders panniers were just like a wreckage yeah. had gone through there and uh and so we start rummaging, yeah, we start rummaging through all this stuff. Like what the heck happened here? <laughs> Trying to figure out what it is yeah. and what happened. And we pretty soon you could tell it was, you know, probably not a hunter, but it was just like a, you know, a, one of those sheep herders or whatever. And, uh, lo and behold, what did we, <laughs> what did we find in there? Yeah. There was a bone saw that you, I think you picked it up too, Yeah, but we found a bone saw. The one thing we needed however miles back we were you know and we didn't have one in our truck we didn't even bring one because we would have brought it back in when we hauled the meat out on your bowl and it was just it was almost too much of a coincidence it was just uh yeah kind of a special deal that i thought was really kind of cool yeah it's crazy and that it just got crazier because you know we 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 even were talking and you know we're like man this it looked like a horse like a pack horse yep. had gone through you know yep. that that's what it looked like it looked like a pack yep. horse had been forced or spooked through this boulder patch and you could imagine a horse trying to stay on its hooves you know oh man going through that and he just would have been tipping over and falling over and it was probably just a complete mess and that's uh, we even kind of verbalized that like man it looked like a and so we, we, yeah, we're, we were like, what did a bear chase a horse yeah, through here or yeah. a mountain lion or yeah. like, it, we were both saying that too. And then we got down in that valley in a meadow and we see, we find a horse yeah. all cut up. Probably a half mile maybe from where that, all that stuff had been up in yeah. the boulder patch. Yep. Yep. We found that horse and Wow. And yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, so we, <clears throat> I, I actually remember when I, when we walked up in that meadow and she was just, she was still hundreds of yards away. At first, I thought it was an elk. And then uh, <laughs> yeah, we, both did, we both were like, holy cow, there's a, yeah, that's probably a bull, you know, like, yeah. Get right. an arrow, get an arrow. <laughs> <laughs> Knock an arrow. 
I'm, all right, I'll start cow calling. I'll dive into the trees back here. I was like, oh, call. I was probably like, call, call Dustin. So we get, we walk up closer. We throw our binos up or whatever, and we realize like that's not an elk. That's a horse. And yeah, man, we uh, it's sure enough. It I you know it, there's no doubt it was that same horse because we walked up on her, and she couldn't she couldn't really move, um, and just mangled i I still have a picture of her somewhere one of my old phones but yeah she, we took pictures because oh, we were gonna call uh out fishing game we we're gonna call them or somebody when we got out yeah yeah we did oh. we called fishing game but she uh man she if if i thought that that horse could have walked um the seven eight miles or whatever it was out of there i i man i would have let her out of there in a heartbeat but she could not even go she yeah. she couldn't hobble three feet. I mean, she uh, she was just dead on yep. dead on her feet. Well, man. we both, you know, we were contemplating putting her down. It yeah. was that bad yeah. with our bows. Yeah, and what what do you do, man? Like you're in that situation, and like you know, you don't you don't know. I mean, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe the guy's looking for her, and maybe he, I don't know. Like maybe they would get her out of there somehow or you know maybe she would you knew if all things stayed the same she wasn't going to make it you know she couldn't even yeah. move or get to water and um yeah we you know we didn't end up putting mm-hmm. one in her and and looking back we probably should have but you just always kind of worried about that like you know it's what what do you do there like you know it's the right thing but it's not maybe legally the right thing or something like that like those are those are tough situations yeah they are i know both of us were like just debating what to do we kind of watched it and i think the reason we kind of left it was we saw her kind of munching on grass and and at least trying to trying to eat yeah and so it wasn't like so bad or it couldn't even get up. It was on its feet. And, yeah. you know, we didn't know. We, we really didn't know what the story was, but we knew we had a dang good idea, you know, what, what happened. But yeah, well, it, was what, tough. it was our tough. What was kind of even cool about it was, um, she had, I think instinctually, you know, horses have that in them for sure. And she was standing in a meadow that, and, and within probably a hundred yards, um, off in the trees was the sheep herders camp. Remember that? Yeah, we found that and then we were just we just put it together and just like that the yeah. horse. That's that's what happened. Yeah. Some sheep herders horse up there. So anyway, yeah, we, we left her. Um I, I I bet my my uh life that if she nobody came and got her that she didn't make it through the winter and that's just it's a rough deal, but man, that's that was just crazy, craziest experience mm-hmm. I think I've had. In that the was uh, that was a crazy, yeah. crazy, yeah, what, wild story there. What are uh, what are some of the what's the biggest mistake you've uh, seen us make when you and I are hunting together? <laughs> oh, geez, <laughs> I don't know. I you know it's hard to say. You know how much we called back then and. Yeah, knew if we knew what we were doing, I've, you know, we've both learned so much, you know, and even now I make a ton of mistakes. So I don't know. I think, I think it, I think the biggest thing is like that I've learned from now 
from then till now is just how important those those moments are like when you have a shot and to really just hone in and take your time because they don't I mean they just don't come like that's how I look at every hunt now is like when those times come just taking just take that extra you know two seconds to pin in or get a good range or yeah get it yeah just you know one of those things that you just you always go away or oh did i do this or should have done this or i think that's a thing i'll say something um and this wasn't on this elk hunt this was um when we were hunting in nevada for mule deer um one one thing and this isn't a mistake necessarily but this is something that you kind of taught me um i i was always of the impression that you had to, you know, you only got one chance at a mule there. And, and that being said, I, I, I believe now that it's, it's still usually true with a big mule there. And I'm talking like, you know, you get a big 180, 190, four and a half, five and a half, six and a half year old type buck. Um, you probably only got one good chance at him. Maybe, maybe another one if you're lucky, but you, you better make the, the good one count. But mm-hmm. back then, you and I were just after a good buck. We weren't after, you know. Yeah. We were just after a decent, mature mule deer, you know. And and I mm-hmm. I'll never forget we we backpacked in 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 the Nevada backcountry, and we'd spotted a good group of bucks. You know, there was four, five, six, or seven, or whatever there was across the basin there. And I was walk kind of walking on eggshells, uh, so to speak. And I was, um. I was like, oh man, like we'd, we'd wait, woke up opening morning. It was like, oh, they need to bed right here or they can only bed right here or else we won't have a stock, perfect stock. And, and finally you were just like, dude, screw it. Like I'm going after them. Like I'm going to go stock those mule there. And I'm like, well, what if you blow them out? And you're, you, I think you even <laughs> said like, they'll be back. Like if I blow them out, this is where they live and they'll be back. It's <laughs> yeah. basically what you were telling me in yeah. so many words. And I thought, okay, whatever. And so sure enough, you know, you went down there and I don't, I don't think it worked out on that one, but you blew them out and, uh, you know, you were exactly yeah. right. They, uh, that, that next day they maybe weren't in there. And then, but the very next day after that, sure enough, there they were right back. And I learned a lesson that, right. day that you know, those, those mule deer, they, uh, especially they, you know, elk are probably different, but you, you kind of taught me that mule deer, um, you know, that's when, the, when it's their home, that's their home. And yeah, um, you know, as long as they don't get too much pressure from too many guys, I think, I think they'll circle back eventually in a day or two and, and you might get another chance at them as long as it's, you yeah, know. you're absolutely right. No, I, I think you're right too, though. And you need to choose your battles on like, there's some stocks where I remember you went on one where we, you know, we were after a big four point in there. Um, and he bedded below like a sheer, just straight. Like it was like straight down an overhang. And it was probably like, <laughs> I don't know how far down, probably a hundred yards straight down. And you, you couldn't even get a shot at him because it was like an overhang. And like, you know, there's some, some situations where you're just like, and, you know, I stalked a deer this last year. That was the same situation. I got over and it was such an overhang. I was like, oh, he is dead. He's right under a cliff. He is so dead. And I got over there to 
to try to get him and and i couldn't even i couldn't even see him you know and, and so he ended up you know ended up winding me uh, eventually because uh thermals and everything and uh, i just couldn't you know those those bucks are so smart so you got to choose your battles but i i learned that early on that that deer will stay and go they have routines and they'll stay and go back in the same basins and my brother's deer that got me into bow hunting that he killed up on the mountain is is a prime example i mean we had no idea what we were doing i hadn't even gotten into bow hunting yet this was like i think it was 2008 or 7 um and he had stalked this thing i'd watch him do probably at least eight different stocks on this eight different days in the same i mean he was on one one side of the mountain or the next you know and it was like clockwork we'd find him every day and and i mean he missed him probably five or six times before he ended up killing him and that that buck ended up getting me into archery hunting but you know that buck taught me a lot he was like a 175 buck and just a thick big buck didn't score good but he's just an old deer and and it, it taught me a lot about mule deer and how you know like you said some of those big ones if you know they're in country where it's thick enough you'll never find them again after they get shot or where yeah. they'll go but but usually yeah well, they'll, a lot of times you do yep yeah yep Dude, this is this is awesome, man. We like I I've got notes here for other hunts, and like we just we're gonna have to we'll have to do them another time. I know you've got your uh, your girls, and you probably need to get get back to and your family and stuff. Um, you know, we could talk about you guys hunting in Colorado and talk more about hunting in mule deer or in Nevada for mule deer, and then <laughs> you've got a yeah one, one of my favorite uh, elk stories, but. For sure, dude. We'll uh, we're there'll be many more podcast episodes, so <clears throat> we'll uh, well, sounds good, yeah. yeah. We'll we'll run through our uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna run you through the fire round here though first. So, um, I'm actually curious on this one because I don't know the answer, which is surprising, but um, elk, mule deer, or antelope for you? I'm an elk guy actually. If I if I choose chose one, yeah, for sure. Why not, man? Why not? Yeah mechanical or fixed blade i am a fixed blade person <laughs> do you uh you have to when you go hunt idaho huh is that part of the reason um a little bit but you know i i just kind of prefer prefer them still i i don't know they're yeah. i think they're i think there are more accurate you know broadheads that aren't fixed blades um but I just like how they work. I like what they've done for me and they're reliable for me. And, and I, you know, I, I like, you know, they shoot decent for me. So yeah. Yeah. Fixed blade. What's your dream hunt? Dream hunt would probably be either Alaska on a sheep or caribou, just cause I've never, you know, just different territory, different area, and totally different than what we do. You know, hunting the the west and the desert down here. <laughs> yeah, elk and deer, and then the other one that's close second or up there would be. I've heard that uh, stag down in Argentina, Argentina, when they're uh, 
rutting is is quite something you know and it compares to elk i, I mean anything you can call in to me and, and hunt whether that's coyote or elk or turkey or whatever i haven't hunted turkey but i just you know anything you can call even even goose hunting you know you mean new zealand you mean new zealand no uh, actually yeah there's well there's stag in new zealand too but and i i i'm sure you could hit the rut there but i i i just saw a hunting video or hunting show a guy went down to argentina and hunted them huh you learn something learn something new every podcast it was either Argentina or Venezuela. I could be wrong. Yeah. I'm no somewhere, somewhere South America. Though. Some, somewhere South America. I'm pretty sure it was Argentina, but huh. I thought that would just be awesome to yeah. to hunt them in the. I don't know what they call that. The roar. They call it the roar down yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> they need. It sounds like they need to make that like a uh, one of the excursions on the cruise ships down there. <laughs> You go on the Caribbean cruise down there and stop in yeah. uh, South America and go hunt a... Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't ever think it, but they have those those crazy, uh, what are those, the dove? They let the those guys shoot just millions oh, of... yeah, crazy of... dove hunt down there, yep. Yeah, where it's like world class where they're shooting like 100, yep. 100 or 200 birds a day or whatever they yeah. <laughs> let out. So... What's your yeah. uh, what's one of your favorite backcountry food items? Oh geez. <laughs> it's always been the gummies, man. I know. Is the smile the smile gummies, huh? It's no the Welches. Oh, you're getting high class on me? <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think in the backcountry you're eating all that freeze dried and yeah. processed food, a lot of it, and then I mean, gummies are too, but just to have something sweet and you don't always get fresh fruit or anything. So, yeah, you, you taught me that too, man. I'll give you credit. Cause I, uh, I was, I was that way. I just, I, I don't know why I didn't think, well, I know why I didn't think about it. Cause I was so like brainwashed with, <laughs> you know, all these books and like all these guys of like, you got it, you know, every ounce and like, you got to shave weight and like your food has to have a certain nutritional value per ounces and all that BS. And like, I just was like, well, no, duh. Like you can't take treats. Like you can't take fruit snacks. It, that's not, <laughs> it doesn't fall in the category, you know? And like we yeah. show, we, I think it was in Nevada actually, or uh, anyway, we showed up on one of our yeah. hunts and you pop out like these, <laughs> I'm over there eating, you know, whatever, a granola bar probably. Uh, and you pop out these fruit snacks and I'm like, <laughs> fruit snacks man i was so jealous and so literally from that hunt on i've every (laughs) every single hunt i have fruit snacks so (laughs) thank you yeah yeah i think that's probably the one yeah and then what do you like for uh like a a backcountry or just an all-around rifle caliber oh i would say man that's tough to uh I don't do a ton of rifle hunting, but I would say if I was, you know, cause you, you almost want, you need something big enough to put down elk and everything. So probably, probably like a seven MM for me. That'll do the trick, huh? Yeah. Okay. Um, where, uh, so you got 
your Instagram, but then you got, uh, um, so your, your hunting club talk, you got your, if, if guy and, and a lot of guys might be interested in this, especially if you're like in Salt Lake area or Reno or somewhere like that, or kind of, but you, uh, yeah. you guys, you guys have a big, uh, uh, hunting club there on your property, right. bullhead hunting club. Yeah. It's called, called bullhead hunting club. We, we've started it up, uh, four or five years ago, um, been going with it and kind of the reason behind it was, uh, we've acquired, my family's acquired quite a bit of property in Northern Nevada and, and we, we needed a way to, and just people calling us all the time to, to hunt either if it was waterfowl hunting or, or deer, antelope or, or squirrels, whatever it may be, they wanted to come hunt our property. And so, um, we created this to kind of control things a little bit and to, and to, uh, control some of the vandalism going on on properties. And then also just to keep a handle on it. And then, and then we acquired some property where there was a bed and breakfast. And so it was just made for a hunting club and, you know, growing up in Nevada, there was not, there's not a lot of, pheasant here it's not south dakota or nothing <laughs> so so we're like well let's let's start a pheasant club here a little uh bird club because we had the the meadows for it. we had the the train you know there are a few in the valley over there already that are that are native and so but anyways just perfect spot for it there's a couple of rooms we ran out we have rv hookups and all that a little little clubhouse now we've built and yeah. and so dude that that's part of it is the bird hunting now and, and everything so and I, i'm telling you like i don't know how it sounds but i've been there and having and and again i'll i'll be the first to admit like i'm not you know you won't i'm you won't i won't be fighting guys to hunt the mule deer you know on your property or anything like that but if you are are looking for you know especially like the bird hunting um i've i've pretty much driven and seen your whole entire property which is just incredible um and i've seen the kind of the bird club um you know your clubhouse and i've seen the the accommodations that you guys have and man it's like dude it is awesome it is so awesome oh appreciate that yeah no. I've, I've been out there and we've we even uh we even kicked up you know we took some birds out and uh it was just <laughs> it was a blast man like there's some hunts you know big game hunts that are just meant to be brutal and like i'm all about the grind and backpacking and we're all about that but like you know if you're just yeah. like if if it's just like february or you know, maybe your new year's with your family or something and you're in the area and you got young, young boys or young kids, girls or whatever that you just want to go have a good time or just, you know, your, your family or your buddies or whatever. Like, dude, it is, it's, it's impossible mm -hmm. to beat, man. Like just head out to the club and you can go shoot, shoot a bunch of birds and no, squirrels. I, and we appreciate that. No, for sure. We'd love to have people out and, that's what it's about, you know, and, you know, I, I'm as big on, you know, uh, not the private thing as anyone, you know, growing up and, and hunting in the, the mountains in the back country and, 
and you know, I like backpack hunts and stuff like that. And, and I like going for wild game and wild birds, but, um, private clubs, you know, they, they, and private property has its place. And especially where we live, where you can't hunt after, you know, February and yeah. for birds and stuff and where guys can bring their youth hunters and train. It's a, a lot for the, you know, it's more than anything. It's work about their watching dogs. Those dogs. Yeah. yeah. It's watching those dogs work. That's the best part about it. And, and it's just a good, it's a good family atmosphere. We get a lot of older guys too, that like to hunt, you know, flatter country. And, and it's, uh, from when you were out here, we've, it's kind of night and day too of what, what we've got available, but yeah, I've seen your video. It's gotten even bigger and better. And so, but yeah, we're working on it and it's, it's growing. It's, it's a good deal, but yeah, check us out on bullheadhuntingclub.com. Yep. We got a, yep. Bullheadhuntingclub.com. And then, uh, we got an Instagram and Facebook page that I don't do the best at updating, but, hmm. but we, uh, yeah, we're growing and we love, you know, we get a lot of people coming from California and just a lot of good people out. And yep. It's fun meeting so many different people and that hunt. And most of these bird hunters are big game guys like me and yep. too. And so it's, it's a really good time, but awesome, yeah, man. we enjoy it. It's awesome. Yep. We're just a, just a good old time out shooting, shooting birds or whatever. So, um, yeah. Okay, man. I always ask one more question, um, but before I do, um, I try to give give everyone I have on credit um, for just things that stand out to me. And um, you know, you and I, I, I could, I could, I could rattle off stuff with you, you know, for hours, um, just because of our history. We were, we've uh, done a lot together and been through a lot together. But you know, specifically, I want to give you credit for uh, first for just being a a good hunting partner, man. Like especially back backcountry hunting partner and the, and it's just different like when you've when you've broke you know when you've showed up at a trailhead at two in the morning in Nevada or Utah or whatever and you pack in and you spent six seven eight days and you've seen your buddy uh, drop everything that he's doing and pack out your bowl just because you you happen to be there and he let you shoot first anyway and just like like a backcountry hunch is different and it'll either make or break a friendship. And, uh, and you know, I definitely have uh, nothing but respect for you. So, um, the other, the, the other thing, the more important thing is just being a, a family man. I know, uh, you know, I've, I've been able to, uh, spend time, you know, different than most of my guests on here. I've had the chance to just spend time with you and your family. And, um, I know that you're, it's, it's, it's hands down above all and everything else, your, your farm and your hunting and everything, your family's number one. And I'll, I'll always admire that, um, more than, you know, any, any deer that you kill, um, or any bull that you kill. So give you credit for just keeping important things important and being a family, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate that, Dustin. And I think the same of you. So <laughs> Okay. Thank you. Last question, brother. Um, why do you hunt the backcountry? Man, what a what a question. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think I guess to not get into a huge reason or long deal. Uh, I think when all is said and done, it's not for me. It's not about the 
the kill or the harvest. And if, if you think that's a successful hunt, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. I think that a lot of times my most memorable hunts have been ones I haven't even harvested on. And yeah, I, I love a full freezer of elk meat or I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that that's why I hunt is, you know, the full thing, the full journey, the full experience. And it's not, it's not always about, you know, notching your belt or I got a 200 inch buck or 350 bull or, and you know what I mean? It's just, that's what it, that's how it is for me. You know, I, I think killing that, that bull with you and some other bucks I've killed in the, you know, on the back country that weren't the biggest or, you know, it, it, that those things don't matter to me. It's all about the memories. And that's why I do it is the memories of the hunt. Hey everybody. Thank you for listening to the finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, Make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit FindingBackCountry.com.